Saturday, July the 16th, 11.45pm. Run away, run away! Pant, 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 and double pants. How in the name of God's novelty undercrackers and matching toga have I ended up running along the streets at midnight? I'll tell you how. You wait ages for a sex god to come along, and then two come along at the same time. Where is the sense in that? If it's all part of Big G's divine plan, all I can say is this. Keep it simple, Big G. Just give me one sex god to eat at a time. And then if I'm not full up, I'll have another one. Thank you. Regards to baby Jesus. That is all I'm saying. Inwardly, obviously, as I'm nearly dead with trying to run in my high-heeled boots. I may have to lie down in a ditch in a minute. 11.50pm. I had to stop and sit in the hedge by the park. I'm so out of breath. Hooray! I'm sitting in the dark like a panting vole in a skirt. Three minutes later. Pant, pant. So, this is a brief resume of Vole Girls' evening. Scene one. A top night at the Stiff Dillon's gig, including an excellent Viking disco inferno dance in honour of Rosie and Sven's forthcoming, well, in 18 years' time, wedding, and Sven arriving in furry shorts. Note to the dim, and I mean this in a loving way, the Viking disco inferno dance goes stamp, stamp to the left, left leg kick, kick, arm up, stab, stab to the left, and horn. As the pièce de Watts said, Massimo, lead singer and love god that I have been dreaming of and longing for, asked me to go outside and said, So, Signorina Giorgia, I am free man for you, if you still want for us to go out. Keep in mind that he said it in his gorgy-porgy pizza-a-go-go land accent, looking at me like I was a sex kitty. Scene two. Just as I was experiencing swoon city and melty pantaloonies, a car pulled up and Robbie, the original sex god, got out. The one who'd left me and gone to Kiwi-a-go-go land to snog marsupials and so on for the rest of his life. Not. Scene three. After a moment of silence, I said in a quick thinking and casual way, Oh, hello, Robbie. Do excuse me. I have a train to catch. And time and tide wait for no man. And walked quickly off before breaking into a slight trot. Then a light gallop. Then I ended up in the hedge, and that is where all this started. In conclusion, I would say that after queuing up at the cake shop of Love for ages, I've accidentally bought two cakes. And I'm sitting in a bush. 11.56pm. Oh, yet more marvellous, marvellous news. The blunder boys are lurking around in the park, probably setting fire to themselves and practising being crap, which they needn't bother doing, as they are top at it anyway. They'll all sense I'm here in a minute and come looming out at me. The blunder boys have got radar for girls within half a mile. 30 seconds later. Mark Biggob, who lives in my street and who I accidentally snogged once and who has the largest lips known to humanity, larged out of the gloom and saw me panting in the hedge. He was looking at my nungas, which were heaving up and down. Stop heaving and retreating to your over-the-shoulder boulder holder, you stupid nungas. Mark said, I see you're all pleased to see me, girls. How repellent is he? I ignored him and got up with a dignity-at-all-times sort of attitude. As I was brushing past him, he said, Steady, darling, you nearly knocked me over. The rest of the trainee idiots had sidled up by then, and they sniggered and choked on their fags. Still, on the bright side, cigarettes stunt your growth, so with a bit of luck, most of them will remain about three foot eight. 
Mark Biggob said, I see you've got the horn. Is it for me? Is he mad? Is he implying that I have got the horn for him? I'd rather plunge my head into a bucket of whelks than let him anywhere near me. I can't believe that his hand once rested on my bazooma and that his enormous gob had squelched around my face. Ugh, lack! If anything, he gave me the anti-horn. Sadly, it was then I realised that in fact he was right. I did have the horn. Horns, actually. I was still carrying my Viking bison horns that I'd worn to rehearse Rosie's wedding dance. Still, what is so very unusual about that? Five minutes later. Quite a lot, actually, when you think about it, which I won't. Oh, double merde and ordure and poo. 12.15am. Got to my street. My tootsies are killing me. The light is still on in the front room. Oh, no. That means the terminally insane, mutty and farty, are still up. I must avoid them at all costs. I can't speak to them, not now, not any time if I have my way. I snuck really, really quietly through the front door and stashed my horns in a secret place where they will never be found. The ironing basket. Ah, safely in. Now, quietly, quietly up the stairs to my room. Quietly, quietly, like a little mousy. Mousy girl opening little doorsies. Nearly safe. Quietly into the room like a quiet thing on quiet tablets. No sign of the furry freak brothers, also known as my cats Angus and his cross-eyed son Gordon. Thank the Lord. As I opened my bedroom door, Gordy's face appeared upside down an inch away from my fringe. I looked into his mad cross eyes. Why does he do that? Lurk on top of the door like a bat. He did a little croaky noise and licked my face with his horrid rough tongue. I managed not to cry out or be sick. 12.25am. There is a half-eaten mouse on my pillow. 12.30am. Oh, God. That means that Gordy licked my face after he had crunched up the mousey head. I'm almost bound to get the Black Death. Nothing nicer than a few postulating boils when you have boyfriend trouble. One minute later. Crept downstairs to get rid of the mousey. I had it on a piece of cardboard. When I say mousey, what I mean is two ears and a bit of tail. Too crunchy for Gordy's delicate little murderer's gob, I suppose. As I was going back upstairs, Mutti called out from the front room. Is that you, G? I said, no, and went up to get into my snuggly bed of pain. In bed, under the sheets of life. One minute later. Can't be bothered getting undressed as I'm so full of confusiosity. Five minutes later. I better make an effort, though, and at least take my boots off. My feet are probably all swollen from my mad running, and I don't want to have them surgically removed again. The boots, I mean, not my feet. Anyway, the nub and gist is that I have accidentally acquired two nerve gods. I may never sleep again. One minute later. <laughs> I won't have time to sleep if I've got two boyfriends, tee-hee. Sunday, July the 17th, 7am. Woke up from a dream where Dr Clooney was looking at my head and saying, I have never seen anything like it. Her head is one enormous boil. And for a minute forgot that I have two boyfriends.
I checked in the mirror, and there has been no postulating boil extravaganza, so I seem to have escaped catching the Black Death from Gordy's little mousy snack, thank the Lord. Although my head has exploded hairwise. I may have to iron it. 7.35am. Crept downstairs and made some toast and tea. I must keep my strength up. There is snoring coming from every room. Mum made Dad sleep in the spare room because of his snoring, and she's louder than him. I must be kind, though. She probably has difficulty breathing because of the weight of her enormous nungas. If mine grow as big as hers, I will definitely donate them to some charity. It's a nice day. The birds are humming and the bees are singing. And I can see Angus the furry love machine lolling around in the morning sun with Naomi. They are very much in love if the amount of bum ole licking is anything to go by. Back in my bed with Snacksies, five minutes later. I must consult with a book of wisdomosity. Five minutes later. This double boyfriend fandango is not mentioned in Mutti's book, How to Make Any Twit Fall in Love with You. Three minutes later. Maybe Robbie and Massimo will have to have fisticuffs at dawn to decide who gets me. Who knows what the right etiquette is in this scenario? One minute later. One thing is for sure, I will not be asking Dave the laugh, my horn advisor and occasional snoggy to the fight. He will only think it's a laugh and start shouting out stuff like, hit him with your handbag, Massimo, or mind the hair, love. Anyway, Dave is too busy to give me advice these days. He will be with his girlfriend. I wonder what number they've got up to on the snogging scale. Shut up, brain. I don't want to think about Dave. He is an ex-snoggy and just a mate. I've enough to worry about without Dave popping up all the time. Ooh, uh. 7.55am. This does mean that I'm going to have to be on high beauty and glamorosity alert at all times. One of my multi-boyfriends may be so driven by snognosity that he rushes round here first thing in the morning. I must be prepared. But no one must know. I must exude glamour, but in a natural, just-tumbled-out-of-bed way. So, just a hint of foundation, touch of bronzer, lippy, mascara, and a tiny bit of eyeliner, which I like to think looks like I have a touch of the Egyptian in my jeans. That is what I like to think. 8am. Now, what to wear? Nightwear or daywear? What would you wear if you had unexpectedly woken up to the doorbell ringing and you didn't know who it was, but you suspected it might be a love or a sex god? 8.01 a.m. Not Teletubby's pyjamas, that is le fact. 8.06 a.m. Denim skirt and a t-shirt? Yep. 8.12 a.m. I took a peek out of the front window. No sign of any sex or love gods. The reverse, in fact, because I was alarmed to see Mr. Across the Road in his garden in a shorty dressing gown. I hope he's not going to become a homosexualist in his twilight years. Then, Mrs. Across the Road came out in a massive pair of pyjamas. Was there the suggestion of a small moustache on her upper lip? Maybe that's what happens in the end when people are married. They change sex. My dad is certainly on the turn. But on the other hand, no man alive has developed nunga-nungas like mum. 8.30am. Why hasn't Jazz phoned? You would think that Radio Jazz would have been on the airways of life wanting to know what happened to me and also wanting to report what had happened after I'd left the gig. 
I suppose I'll just have to wait until she wakes up, or the rest of the ace gang wakes up to let me know what's going on. I must use the steely discipline for which I'm world-renowned. 8.35am. That's it, I can't stand it anymore. Crept out of the house. I won't leave a note because no one will notice I'm missing for hours. The last thing I want is a cross-examination from Herr Farty, or mum being interested. Outside on the drive. Angus is still lying on his back on the wall while Naomi licks his face. And now she's started on his bomoli. How disgusting. Kitty porn, first thing in the morning. Also, they are both covered in what looks like snot. Oh, blimey O'Reilly's trousers. It isn't snot, it's frog spawn. They have been marauding about in Mr and Mrs Nextdoor's new marine conservation area, known to other normal people as a bucket with disgusting tadpoles and slime in it. The Pratt brothers, also known as Mr Nextdoor's annoying and useless toy poodles, were on marine conservation lifeguard duty. So all Angus had to do was duff them up a bit, round them up into their kennel, and then it was a night of splashing around in the bucket to his heart's content. The next doors will go absolutely ballistic. They always do about the least thing. Mr Nextdoor has been hovering on the edge of a nervy spouse for the last year, and this might drive him over the edge and into the rest home. His shorts will probably explode with the tension, which is no bad thing, unless I happen to be around at the time and am exposed to the sight of his huge bottom looming about. I said to Angus, You are so bad, Angus, and in for big trub. That is a fact. Au revoir, dead kitty pal. I'm sure he understands every word I say, because he got idly to his feet, stretched, and nudged Naomi off the wall. He treats his girls rough. Naomi leapt back on the wall and arched her back and raised her hackles, making that really mad screechy noise that Burmese cats do. She was spitting at Angus and teetering backwards and forwards, really, really mad. Angus was frightened. Not. When she got near enough, he biffed her with his paw and she disappeared over the wall again. You had to laugh. Not for long, though, because after he had rolled about on the lawn to get rid of the frog spawn, he began stalking me. Oh, no, not today, my furry friend. I'm not having him tagging along with me all day, causing mayhem and eating anything that moves. I said, clear off, Angus. Stay there. Sit, sit. I even threw him a stick to distract him, and he ran bounding off after it, but then came back to trail along behind me. I started running. He started running. I hid behind a wall. His head loomed over the wall at me. In the end, to give him the hint, I threw stones at him, some of them quite big. Five minutes later. This is hopeless. He doesn't care about having stones thrown at him at all. He's senselessly brave. One minute later. He's trying to catch the stones in his mouth. One minute later. He's just slightly dazed himself by heading one of them. In Jazz's garden, 9am. No sign of Jazz being up and her curtains are drawn. Dammy, damn, damn. She's so lazy, snoozing in pantsland. I don't want to arouse any interest in the elderly mad by ringing the bell. Even though Jazz's M&D are on the whole more acceptable than most, in that they provide snacks and Jazz's dad doesn't speak, they are still technically in the elderly loon category. Three minutes later. How can I get Jazz to get up without ringing the doorbell? One minute later. Oh, here we are. There's a ladder in the shed. I can use my initiative and girl guide training. 
which I haven't got and never will have, and use the ladder to make a small fire to send smoke signals past her bedroom window. Shut up, Rain. Five minutes later. It must be a child's ladder, as it only reaches to just above the lounge window. I would have to have orangutan arms on stilts to reach Jazz's window. Poo and merde. Two minutes later. As I was looking up, wondering how to make my arms grow, something bit my ankle really viciously. Angus was on the ladder with me, looking at me and playfully biting my legs. Ouch! Bloody ouch! I reached down to strangle him and I was just saying, You bloody furry freak, I'll kill you when I get down from here! When I saw Jazz's dad standing on the garden path with his paper, smoking his unlit pipe. He was looking at me like I was normal normal. I said, Ah, yes! I was just thinking I'd see what your garden looked like from up here. And yep, yep, it looks very, very nice indeed. Full of stuff, growing and so on. What was I talking about? Five minutes later. Jazz's dad is sensationally nice. Or insane. It's hard to tell. He let Angus carry his newspaper into the house and didn't even seem to mind when he ate it in Jazz's bedroom. I managed to dig Jazz out from underneath her owls. How many stuffed owls can one person collect? A lot is the answer in her case. What is the matter with her? Also, she was very, very grumpy when I woke her up with a kiss. It was only on her cheek, but you would think she'd been attacked by hordes of lesbians in cowboy outfits. Blimey, she looks very odd in the mornings, and her fringe was akimbo to the max. She looked like a startled earwig in Jimmy Jams. I said, so, so, what happened? She looked at me and started early morning fiddling with her fringe. Very annoying. She said, you just ran off like a fool. I said, yes, I know, I was there. Yes, you say that, but you weren't there. That is the whole point. And everyone was going, what's Georgia doing? Has she gone mad? And so on. Jazz, if I get you a little cup of tea and a snacklet, Will you try to be normal and tell me everything that happened? It is a matter of life and death. Your life and your death. Ten minutes later. It's quite nice and cosy tucked up in bed with Jazz and Snacksies. Except that I think I have an owl's beak up my bamoli. Jazz was munching and rambling. Well, first of all, after you'd run off like a ninny. By the way, you run in a really weird way in those high heels. You look like nauseating pea green when she's playing hockey. Her legs go all spazzy and I hit her with snowy owl. She almost choked on her toast. I said, Jazz, get on with it. I've only got about 50 more years to live. Well, first of all, the boys did that boy thing with Robbie. What boy thing? You know, slapping each other on the shoulders, shaking hands and so on. Yeah, Jazz went on. Robbie was saying hello to a lot of people and Massimo got his jacket on. You were just approaching the park by then, we could still see you. Massimo said to Tom, she asked me about footy results, then she ran away. Is she normal? Oh my giddy God, I said to Jazz. What did Tom say? Well, he stood up for you, of course. I love Hunky very much, as you know, Jazzy Spazzy. Yes, he said you're quite often normal. He had seen you being normal once or twice himself, usually when you were asleep. Marvellous. Apparently, after I had run off to catch my train, Massimo had gone home with the band, and just after he'd gone, 
Wet Lindsay had come stropping back looking for him. Jazz said her no forehead was all crinkly and mad, and her hair extensions were swishing around in a nervy bee central way. Then she had seen Robbie and was all over him like a rash, and they had gone off together. What? What? I said, Wet Lindsay went off with the sex god. <laughs>